In writing and researching this podcast intro, I found out that Michael Jordan retired for the second and final time on April 16th, 2003. I couldn't have guessed that date or month or even the year if he gave me a whole handful of tries. I bet all of you listening had no clue when Jordan hung up his Jordans for the last time. It makes total sense that we've all pushed Jordan on the Wizards into a dark part of our brains. The second Michael Jordan stopped playing basketball, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, sort of just became a collection of memories and moments and stories we tell younger people. And of all the folk tales we tell of Michael Jordan, maybe the most important chapter is the flu game. The 1997 NBA Finals Chicago and Utah series tied 2-2, game five in Salt Lake City, and Michael Jordan gets very, very sick. Up all night long, vomiting, dizzy, can't eat, he can't sleep, he barely makes it to the arena, he's sleeping in a room before the game, collapsing into the bench during timeouts, and giving the Utah Jazz 38 points and a game five loss. But the rumors about this game never stopped swirling. Steve Kerr called it the elevation game. Others wondered whether Mike was hungover. Jordan and his inner circle finally told their truth, food poisoning. But was it a bad pizza or dun-dun-dun me here, Robbie? Poisoned pizza. But this is what happens with history. You forget enough, your brain gets infected by alternate stories, and you find yourself wondering just how sick Michael Jordan really even was. Well, today we have a fantastic guest and all of the answers. It's the legend of NBA legends, the flu game today on First Ballot. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and decides if they're good enough for induction in the First Ballot Hall of Fame. This show has been called the world's best throwback sports podcast. Who said it? I said it. Who am I? I am your host, Neil, a.k.a. Gotham Coach, the long-lost Gasol brother, the Glass City Cobra, the podcast Jordan Clarkson, half Filipino, half not Filipino. I'm not the biggest Lakers fan. I'm the best Lakers fan coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Office Depot, big and tall, executive suite, desk chair. The first ballot Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by Balls Life and the Balls Life Podcast Network. This podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts, but it's available in all of those places because of Ball is Life. Follow at Ball is Life on all social. Michael Jordan's flu game is a great sports moment, but is it a first ballot Hall of Famer? We have to decide that today, and here to do it with me is a goddamn living legend of the game. I'm so thrilled he's here. He's a world-class, award-winning writer who's famously worked at the immortal Slam Magazine Game Point forever, as well as the mothership, yes, for, for decades now. He has bylines in the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, the Source, Vibe and Scratch Magazine. He edited for Hoop Magazine, Inside Stuff. He was the founding executive editor-in-chief of XXL Magazine. He helped George Gervin write his book, Ice, why I was born to score. Good fucking luck coming up with a title better than that. 
He is also the author of The Game is Not a Game, The Power, Protest, and Politics of American Sports, and The Dark Side Chronicling the Young Black Experience. He also wrote Soul Provider, 30 Years of Nike Basketball, a favorite of mine. He wrote that because he worked at Nike for a while as well. Today's guest is Chicago, born and raised. We're so lucky to have him. It's Mr. Scoop Jackson. Wow. Scoop, thanks so much for joining us, sir. No problem, man. Your check is in the mail for the intro. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I call you Scoop? It would be a real oh, man, that's, all, that's, that's, that's all everybody calls me, unless oh, it's my like God. my immediate, immediate, immediate family who's known me for a long time. They throw the wire on there, so it's Scoopy. So, but no, Scoop is all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I am, uh, you know, I don't know how old I was, but whatever, whatever age I was, I'm reading Game Point in the back of Slam magazine. And that was like, it was like you guys made that magazine just for me. It, that was like it was made for me and it was like my thing and no one else that i knew right. read it and i liked it that way and so it's all it was all me and that's how i was introduced to your work i've been a gigantic fan of yours since i'm Thank thrilled you, for you i appreciate it when, when we, we, we kind of got involved in the beginning of that project it's probably about you were you probably you know that was about the totality of our audience it was not many people up <laughs> on it but it, you know um it, it grew it grew into something special so we're, we're proud of it it will may it live forever. The rest of this episode will be an ongoing battle between me wanting to ask you questions that I've always wanted to ask, and then also us talking about this incredible sports moment. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get through it time-wise, but I'm going to cut down on all the normal shit I usually say, all the blathering I usually do. I'm going to get right to it. Uh, I read, and th this is this, uh, I put this first because I was like dying to know if it's true and if it, okay. if it yields a great story, great. If it doesn't, I'm just, we'll just edit it out. And if this is fake, we'll edit it out. No one be the wiser. I read that you threatened to resign at Slam Magazine if they didn't put Georgetown's Allen Iverson on the cover. Is that true? That is a true story with a caveat in there. Okay. When... Yes, that, that is true, but it wasn't resigned. I just told Dennis Page, the publisher, that, and this is in the moment of us going back and forth and him telling me he's not putting Allen Iverson on the cover. He had, we had never put a, a college basketball player on the cover of the magazine. Nobody outside of D.C. and in New York knew who Allen Iverson was. It would be the worst selling issue in the history of the magazine. I don't care, all this, that, and the other. <laughs> and I'm telling him that I have just seen the future of basketball, and if we're a magazine... Yeah, it's built on basketball culture because, you know, Allen Iverson in Georgetown is different than Allen Iverson who's playing in the Kenner League. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, yes. watching him drop 60, I'm like, oh, no, this dude is different. And I said to him in that moment, like, look, man, if you don't put Allen Iverson on the magazine, I'm out. I'm done. You know, so that's that. It was just that. And he knows I ain't mean it. You know, I mean, I <laughs> And he's like, where's your, where's your black ass going to go? And I'm like, well, look, I can, I can find somewhere to go. I'm good. But then he knows, you know, my wife is on the other end of this in Chicago. It was like, your black ass is going nowhere. Stop saying stuff you're not going to do. So, and I say the caveat is that it wasn't that he put Allen Iverson on the magazine to stop me from leaving. That wasn't because right. that was just talk, really. Yeah. You know, if, if, I, if I had left, I probably would... My boycott would have been like, man, I'm not coming in until noon the next right. day. <laughs> Whatever. But he wanted to prove a point because he said immediately after that, he said, okay, look, man, we'll do that. But I'm telling you one thing. 
You know writing, so you stay in your writing name. I know publishing. And he literally did because we put Allen Iverson on the cover. He was smart enough to at least not put him on the, to like make it the national cover. He split it between East Coast and West Coast and shared the thing with Ed O'Brien in LA. Right. So he did like the college preview. He and Tony packaged it right. You know, um, and it was at the time when it got released, the worst selling issue that we had had in Slam Magazine leading up to that, because technically he was right. Nobody really knew who Allen Iverson was in a basketball context, because this was after his freshman year at Georgetown. And if you remember, he was the defensive player of the year in the Big East. So it wasn't like. Is that true as a freshman he was? Two years in a row. His first two years, only two years that he was defensive player of the year in the Big East. At the end of the day, Dennis Page is big on winning his argument because he's he'll tell you, I told you so. He'll be like, I told you so. And he'll keep telling you that for like 20 years. So it's 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 cool though to think about, yes, maybe that issue was a loss, but you built a brand off of that. Like to yeah. me, Slam's brand and what Slam was was getting behind a guy like that early and then staying with him throughout his career, being tied to a player like that who meant meant and means so much is uh, a really cool moment. And it's awesome that you were a part of it. Yeah. And I think our magazine, you know, I don't want to include myself, but I think the magazine itself slam also played a role in, you know, creating and helping create a lane that made Allen Iverson um, acceptable um, mm. to his authenticity to who he was. I think having, you know, Slam Magazine co-sign on everything mm. that he was doing, everything he was being, really helped, you know, validate the importance of that. That's, uh, it's, that's, it's such a cool moment for you to have been a part of that with Slam and, and, and tied specifically to AI. Uh, another moment I heard you were a part of is Kobe's Philly all-star game. Yeah. You're with Kobe in that. Tell us a little bit about that moment and what it was like. Yeah. It was after the Philly all-star game, um, where, you know, people, I, well, I don't want to say just people. I believe he forgot as well. Um, Mm. when he got the MVP at the all-star game in Philly, I mean, he thought it was a homecoming. When he plays an all-star game in Philly and gets the MVP, he's, in his mind, this is like the prodigal son comes home, you know, this, that, and the other, forgetting that six months before, you know, before that, he had eliminated the Sixers in the, you know, in the final. So, and Neil, you know, Philly, you're, you're a Laker fan, so that was a championship for you. So you felt it, but Philly doesn't give a shit. You know, about who you are, where you came from. You know what I'm saying? You, you, do. you're the enemy. You just beat our sixes. You literally just beat our sixes. No, there, 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 there's no love here, bro. There's no love here at all. And I think Kobe forgot that. And in his mind, he's thinking something different. So while he's being, you know, while he's accepting the, you know, MVP trophy for the All-Star game and the booze, Start mm. raining down on him as if he's Santa Claus. <laughs> he just, he held it together. But it, it to be honest with you, excuse my language, and Rob could edit this out, but it fucked with him. He just mm. didn't let anybody in that moment see that. As he's holding it together, I was not one of the media members that was on the court. For some reason, I was back in media room in that area or something like that. And I just happened to be standing right 
under where you walk under the off the court through the small tunnel. Well, the tunnel now mm-hmm. has become famous because now you see the players walking through it for their fashion fits, right? right? right. Yeah, yeah, before yeah. that, it was just what it was. It's just a tunnel, right? <laughs> and I happen to be the singular, just by myself, member of the media, because I wasn't on deadline for a story. And I just had to be standing there. And he walks through the tunnel, and I'm just standing there. And he looks at me, and that was his words. He's like, what the fuck, man? And I, I you know, you know how you can look at somebody and, fee- and see? Yes, yes. Like, it was in his eyes. But it was his spirit just dropped. It was like you could see him walk in a minute. He got off that court. Everything that he was holding down and not all the emotional stuff he was holding and not letting the world see that. He basically, the minute he stepped out of range of everybody, you could see it just leaving. You know, what do you do in that moment? He's like pouring that out to you. What how do you react? we, We were cool, and all I did was like, look, man. And all I'm doing, I started putting my hand on his chest and tapping his chest, like, man, look. It's going to be all right. So, they'll get it. One day, dude, they'll get it. It takes a while sometimes for people to understand greatness. One day they will get it. And that's why I said it took the world a long time to understand Muhammad Ali. Long time. I'm trying to remember if he said I needed that, you know, but he was definitely thank you. Gave each other a hug. And, you know, as he, you know, as he got himself together, I said, man, fuck him. <laughs> that was my last one. I was like, fuck him. He just started laughing. He said, all right, man, I'll see you later. He just walked on, but wow. You know. If you've listened to this podcast before, my wife has opened me up to the idea, as kooky and crazy as it might sound, as like ethereal and weird and connected and like metaphysical as it all might be, to the idea that maybe sometimes certain people are put into certain people's lives in a moment for a reason. Yes, sir. And I have, did my entire life, I have dismissed all of that as uh, sheer happenstance, uh, you know, a coincidence, whatever it might be. And my wife is just slowly but surely working on me and going, but what if it is for a reason? What if there was a reason? What if this person, and to me, as you're telling this story, I'm getting chills because you weren't just put there to be the type of person he would respond to, but the thing you said and you touching him, I I believe that you touching his chest did have, because there's something about like when you're in that mood in that moment, when you feel someone touch you, you reconnect in a different way and you using Ali... I think maybe you were there for that. Like, and again, this is surely my uh, no. This is acutely my wife speaking uh, through me. I believe now that you were there for that explicit reason. There are moments in all of our lives where we can reflect back and say that these things, these occurrences, mm-hmm. are greater than just circumstance. I really do believe that. You, 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 and that's and this is me talking. This is not Scoop talking. I'm talking. I'm saying these things. That's why you matter. That's why I was a nerd at the top of this episode. That's why I've been nervous as we started recording because you matter. And I couldn't exactly put my, I mean, I was just a fan, but as I'm hearing this story, I'm going, you're, you are not, you have not just been a conduit from the game to all of us that have loved it, but you are a conduit for the players that are playing it as well. You matter. You've 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 played an important role in specific moments of these people's lives that ended up matter. It's very cool to have you here. I'm thrilled that you joined us. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. But here, let me give you something to kind of put a bow tie on this. Is that 
there was a situation this summer where I, I had done some work for Nike. I, I kind of wrote the manifest for the whole only basketball campaign, right? Right. They were having this event in uh, they were they had like really tricked out the Lincoln Center to have a basketball tournament that served for Nike's entire only basketball campaign launch. And right. they basically had a family reunion for everybody connected with Nike through, you know, music and the game of basketball. And in writing this manifest to get that campaign off the ground, they we had shot a commercial for that. And I had flown back to Chicago because I had to attend a family funeral. And they said, Scoop, we need you back here the next mm. day. So it's like flew to, from New York, then flying back the very next day. And I didn't want to do it. I'm right. like, no, I'm good. And they said, no, we want we want you to read the manifest. The only reason we're flying you mm -hmm. back out here, we want you to read the manifest right before right. the championship game for this event. Right. In front of, for the family reunion, for the entire Nike family. And it's literally, they flew me out there for 90 seconds worth of work. And I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I just fly back. It's 90. No, I don't need, I'm cool. We can, we can just show the commercials the same read. You know, they're like, no, right, we right. physically want you. And I'm like, eh, why? I'm like, cool. All right, whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm good. Okay, we can make it happen. And my son's in New York. So I'm like, all right, man, come with me to the game. We sit down and, you know, the whole Nike family's there. So we, you know, I, I do, you know, they're watching the games. And right before the final game, they have me come out and, uh, you know, present the manifest, read it. And... Rakim MC, you know, mm -hmm. the guy Rakim is there, JD Kiss is there, Carmelo Anthony's there, Dirk Nowitzki, Scotty Pippen. Like I said, I was like, I don't need to be here. But what you're talking about, it was that higher power, whatever, mm -hmm. made me be there for that moment to be exactly what you just got yes. to say. Because what wound up happening is that everybody there gave me the same flowers that you just gave me about mm -hmm. what I meant to mm -hmm. this entire thing, not just from a basketball, mm -hmm. but from a hip hop perspective of, you know, starting double XL and all that, you know, everything that I meant and all of these people there gave flowers to me. But here's the thing. They didn't give them to me. They gave them to my son. Mm. So, you know, Gosh. Dawn Staley, it's like scoop, uh, you know, and Dawn's my girl, love her, having talked to her, gave me big hugs, all of a sudden them. I said, Dawn, this is my son. Let me tell you about your dad. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. Jadakiss, let me tell you about your dad. You know, pulling oh. him to the side. Let me tell you about your dad. You know, so they're giving me flowers, but telling him. And to have your yes. son be there in that moment. Yes. And he's been around me a lot, so he gets it. But to get it in that moment, like yes. nonstop, yes. like five hours, oh. it was like, it's like being at your own funeral. Literally, it is. Oh. So I'm like, okay. And it goes to your point about how there are certain moments that mm -hmm. you are in that yes. you're supposed to be there yes. at that moment, even when you don't mm -hmm. want or think that it has no meaning at all. The forces force you to be there. That's right. For whatever reason. And in that moment, you know, the higher mm -hmm. power, God, you know, whoever anybody believes in for that for me is like, no, nah, Scoop, you, you know, you need this moment in your life. You know, you need uh, to be present for this moment. So I'm going to make sure that you end up in New York for this moment. Cause you don't know, you don't know how you probably need this moment. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. So yeah, it's, it's, it, that's uh, kind of, you have those moments in life. So yeah. So I say that to you that I've actually, 
you know, been in that moment for other people, but I'm actually mm-hmm. coming off of having that moment for myself, which is crazy. Uh, that's so, that's so, so amazing. It's, I, I'm really wrestling. I'm really like sitting here. Look, I've prepared all this stuff about the flu game and Jordan. I want to go through it, but I really earnestly want to dump all of it and just talk to you about this type of stuff. I told I, you. I, I'm going to go. What did I tell you? We're having Part you back. We're having you back. You Part screwed two. up. I told we're you. having I told you, you back. You You've made a mistake. Okay, we're gonna have Scoop Jackson back. I I can't wait. I'm preparing more. Um, it's it's been so much fun for me. This is the type of stuff that I go. It's uplifting to just hear that story. Is uplifting for me. I don't know why, but again, the, the take home for this segment is my wife going. Just listen to my wife. My wife is like, but what if it does? Make, what if you are supposed to be? Just open yourself up to that idea. It's really special. You've had a lot of cool ones. This is really I've had, I've, I've, I've had a life of like incredible moments, man. And my wife is just yes. like yours. She's the one that's like, look, you know, all of this is aligned for a reason. You know, mm-hmm. everything that's happening in your life is aligned for a reason. She like, the fact that you got me is for a reason. That's right. The yeah. fact that I put up with your ass <laughs> is for a reason. <laughs> you know and let, hey, for a moment, lest we think my wife is perfect, she would. My wife wouldn't be caught dead listening to this podcast. She couldn't care less. She's never listened to an episode, so she'll never hear any of this. And I want you guys to know that creatively, she wouldn't give a second's worth of her time to this podcast. She doesn't care about me that much. Great lady, but there, there is a line for her, and it starts at me having a podcast. She won't listen to that. So th- that's the close. Yeah, Yo, you know what? The- no, <laughs> Neil, Neil, I'm gonna tell you. And, and, and I, I found, you know, I'll write some stuff. I'm like, my wife is never gonna read this. This ain't a thing. Whatever, you know. But that's right. Here's the thing, though. I will say this: what they care about is our happiness. That's exactly 100. percent That's what it is. They care about our happiness yeah. until we piss them off, and that's a whole other yeah, thing. <laughs> <laughs> they care about our happiness. So whether they agree with it, this, that, and the other, like, look, if it's going to make you happy, mm-hmm. then I'm all for it. This has been a lovely conversation. I feel uplifted. Again, thank you for being here. Let's dive into our moment. Michael Jordan's flu game. We have to decide whether Jordan's flu game goes into the first ballot Hall of Fame. And to do that, we have to go through our first ballot Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge our moments. The first credential is always analytics. Here are some of the stats, the numbers behind this moment. The flu game, June 11th, 1997. Chicago won the first two games of this final series. Utah took the next two. One fun stat announced during this game, at the time of the game, which again, June 97, the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan had not lost three straight games since 1991. (laughs) The flu game was game five, which the Bulls won 90 to 88 to take a 3-2 series lead over the Jazz. Chicago would go on to win game six and the NBA title, which was their fifth overall. This wasn't a regular season game. The flu game wasn't some bullshit December game. This game mattered the whole series and and therefore the whole finals and title swung on this game. That's got to help our moment. Some Jordan specific stats. Jordan played 44 minutes and 17 seconds. I say that because again, we know he was sick. He played the full second quarter. He played the full fourth quarter. He was 13 of 27. That's 48%. Two of five from deep. 10 of 12 from the line, seven boards, five assists, three steals and a block, 38 points total. Scoop, any thoughts on the stats on this stat line from this uh, flu game right out of the gate? You know what? 
No, not for me, because the stats don't. The only only stat that mattered in that game for me that's an actual number is probably the thirty eight points. You know, um, but you know, Jordan, you know, uh, was literally born to do what he did, um, and 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 that score, especially in a series where what was uh, put it to this way, what was the final score of that game? Ninety to eighty eight. Okay, look at the final score. Mm -hmm. You know, all right. So if he scores thirty five, they lose. Right. <laughs> You'll say you need every point from this individual in low scoring games. And that's what we had in that series. And basically that, that, that time of basketball, there was no regular one twenties, you know, one twenty five. And that wasn't, especially in these playoff series, especially this deep into a playoff series, especially for NBA finals. It gets serious. Defensives like do whatever they can for Utah to be able to look at Michael Jordan, the way that they did as much as they did trying to stop him from getting another championship. I'm pretty sure Jerry Sloan and his his coaches there had every conceivable strategy to stop this man from scoring, and he still scores 38. So that's the reason I don't like – that's the reason I say, one, that number stands out because he's not supposed to get 38 points. That's right. With all you have on your side to stop him from getting him, he's like, let somebody else kill us, and we still couldn't let anybody else kill us. And And, and it didn't. And the second thing is that – the reason I don't put that much credence into any other number, you know, outside of 38 points is because the 38 points is the only number that stands out numerically that mm -hmm. equates the inspiration he gave yes. that team for pulling right. that win out. Got it. You know, the, the, when I looked at it, I sort of presumed, and again, I hadn't watched the full game since, you know, 1997, probably. Uh, so as I rewatched it and I look at the the box score, I kind of go seven boards, three steals, and a block. I it was the the defensive stats again. Thinking he's sick, he's got to pick and choose spots where he's going to give a hundred percent. I presumed it would all be on offense, but to see him have decent numbers on the defensive end, I thought stuck out a little bit to me. There were moments early in the game where he sort of fell asleep a little bit on defense and then, you know, sort of didn't expend the energy to go and close out on the shot, which again, I sort of take all as a, this is a good illustration of how sick he really was, that he wasn't closing out, you know, in a perfect way, the way he usually generally did. So to see him still have some defensive numbers in terms of stats, those did stick out to me. Uh, Jordan started the game two of five in the first quarter. He was three of eight at one point. Uh, Utah had a 12-1 run. Uh, they got and kept a 13-point lead through the first quarter. MJ had 17 in the second. So, again, Utah had a 13-point lead in the first quarter. MJ has 17 in the second quarter when the game could have gotten away. Jordan was one of, four, one of four in the third quarter. Utah is up eight to start the fourth, and Mike scores 15 down the stretch when it mattered. It just did seem like in the game – when they needed it, Jordan was there to answer the bell, and, and it's the reason they won. And here's the thing. You have to understand that during the course of timeouts, uh, especially during the course of timeouts, during the course of halftime, during the course of, like, quarter breaks or whatever, what you're saying from what he was asked to do on offense and what he was reserving himself for, for that didn't just come from within him. That's what the entire team was mm -hmm. egging him. Like, specifically Scottie Pippen. I was there at the game. So, like, dog, just save yourself for this. Scottie's like, I got the other end. 
This guy's like, I can go out and do anything wonderful. Don't worry about that. Save yourself for when we really need you. And that team, you know, the, the way they ran their defense was so structured, so, you know, systematic, that they knew how to make stops without Michael having to be Superman and save them on the defensive end. Right. While he was sick during that game, all they kept saying was like, just save your energy for offense. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But naturally, Michael's going to play defense because he's one of the best two-way players we're ever going to see. So that's Michael in reserve mode on defense. You know, and you look, go go to what happened in, in the next game after that. Yeah. You know, uh, in, in the next game where you saw where his defense played a role and technically won the series off of that when he wasn't sick, when he had that energy. Yeah. You know, and I'm just saying, in watching that game, I saw that game. It wasn't just him reserving himself. Everybody on that team was telling him to reserve yourself and your energy for offense because we're still running this through you. Here's a quote from uh, head coach Phil Jackson. Let's, let's do it together. And Scottie Pippen came over to him and said, don't worry about the defense. I'll take care. I'll play my man and your man. All you do is do what you do best, and that's score in the fourth quarter. I mean, <laughs> See, wait, I, had, I hadn't even heard that. Yeah. I, I hadn't even heard Phil say that. Oh, damn near you know verbatim. <laughs> right. But here's the thing. The beauty of this game is that I was at times behind the bench. So, I, you know, oh my God. We're, doing, we're doing stuff. So I get to hear in and I'm, you know, and because we, we sat right on the baseline and we got to see, like, Michael being walked back and carried back to the bench at times by Scotty. We got to see them huddle around him and, like, the ice packs on his back, mm-hmm. the how you his sickness was no joke. And you could just look at him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, Michael, Michael, Michael's skin tone. Mm-hmm. As black men, we're always like, Michael had one of the most beautiful, and women say, black women say, say his skin tone, the brown, the depth of the mm-hmm. brown, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, yes. almost glowing brown that he has. That game, he looked like doo-doo brown. <laughs> you could just see all the shine was good. He was literally sick. You know, I, I, I literally had not heard Phil say that at any point, but I'm telling you from watching it, that's what I'm telling you, what was being said to him, oh, not so just cool. by Scotty, but Scotty was the one that was always in his ear throughout that entire game. But other teammates, the same thing, like, look, man, we just need you, you know, because this is what you do. It's it, I I'm so jealous that you were there. Um, I appreciate getting your firsthand perspective. We're gonna get more in just a moment. The last stat to go through: Preston Truman. Preston Truman, great name. Sounds like the name of a Utah ball boy. He was a Utah ball boy. He was the Jazz ball boy. Uh, he, as the story goes, he would get Michael Jordan applesauce on crackers to eat before games, uh, and asked Jordan for his Nikes for his uh, uh, Jordans after this game, he gets the flu game Jordans worn Jordans, which I mean, all of the images of Michael Jordan from this game, my God in heaven, where he looks exhausted, he's being carried off. And then there's the, sh- the, you know, the shot of him, like hunched over, he's holding onto his knees and you see the flu game Jordans. You're just like, what a picture, what an image. And the shoes are tied to it. Anyways, Preston Truman gets these sneakers auctions them off in 2012 for $104,765. And then in 2023, they sell for $1.38 million. They auction off for $1.38. And Preston uh, Truman sues the company that (laughs) 
<laughs> that auctioned his sneakers the first time. The second he saw that 1.38 million price tag in 2023, he was like, "Wait a minute! I'm suing the company that had me sell these for 104,000." Uh, of just a fun when you when you've got when the sneakers that you wore during this game end up in a lawsuit from Preston Truman against another company. That's a fun detail to think about. The next credentials are burning questions. The answer to these questions might end up putting this moment in the first bell hall of fame. This is the question. It's to you scoop. What, what happened here? What do you believe happened? We've heard there's, you know, the, the apocryphal story that Jordan tells is that he was food poisoning. It was a pizza that got brought the night before, uh, you know, it was it sickness. There's the rumor that he was hung over, that he had been going to Vegas. What do you believe happened? Why was he sick? If I told you all of the above, would that be an answer? <laughs> you can say that. You can submit no, that. Cause no, because I don't know. I can't pick and choose. I wouldn't put it past Utah in the situation that we're in, getting this close. Yeah. And less evening up the series <laughs> of them being, in, I think they were in Park City. Yeah, yeah, yes. At the hotel where they're laying. I wouldn't put past anybody doing what they could to do that. But at the same time, I'm not putting past Jordan from doing his thing, hanging out, you know, knowing what he has the capability of doing. You're like, look, man, I could go out, do my thing, kick it, (laughs) you know, and and come back and still drop 30 on these dudes. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And Michael, that that never bothered him. Yeah. You know, his, his nightlife and his golf life. Yes. Never bothered him. Listen <laughs> to all the USA basketball stories about how he would go play 36 holes on the game days, like stuff that would drain him and, 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 and be cocktailing the whole time. It's still like, boom. <laughs> so I don't, you know, if Mike wanted to fly to Vegas on his private, probably yeah, he had a G3 probably back then. You know what I'm saying? If he wanted to do that, that ain't that far. Mike could do that. My thing is that if he's hung over, He's like, all right, I'm going to need some food in my system. Yeah. So he could have been hung over, right. but needs to get food in his system. Right. What's better to soak up yeah. alcohol than pizza? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So wow. the pizza may not have been, you know, contaminated. Right. It's just eating that amount of pizza right. on top of that alcohol. Right. Yes. And and, and 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 if nobody's done that before, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I'll throw another caveat in there. It might not have been the pizza from that night. Right. It could have been cold pizza the next morning. Right. On top of the alcohol that set it off for the day. Right. So all I'm saying is that all of the above yeah. is possible. <laughs> and I know a little bit how Mike gets down. I know a little bit how people in Utah can get down. <laughs> I don't put any of this past anybody. So my answer is all of the above. I love it. I love I'm, I'm I putting love my that. look. I'm putting my chips on all of the above happening. Everything. <laughs> I do love this. The, the, I want to say right out of the gate, if there is some skullduggery going on here, if someone in Utah thought I can give my team the advantage, I love that. Honestly, if that's true, if there's any part of that that could be true and you just said, Scoop, that you wouldn't put it past people in Utah, I wouldn't either. If, if there's any part of that is true, even if it's just part of the story that we're telling in this moment – that's what makes a moment like this great when you've got lunacy like that and you're like, you earnestly have to believe, is this true? Is there a scenario where a guy poisoned a pizza and took it to Michael Jordan? That's phenomenal and would make this a first belt Hall of Famer, no doubt. Let's see if there's enough to get it in. Let's not say the word poison. Let's, <laughs> let's reduce it to just 
contaminated. Okay, Maybe okay. put some <laughs> or put some like the, the the pepperoni was, you know, it was aged. Right, right. You no, know, the, the cheese or the cheese Pure. was aged. You know what I'm saying, right? You know, all I, I think all of that's in effect, man. This, uh, it's I as, as we're talking about this, it's sort of occurring to me. You could probably make a pretty great comedy movie out of this moment and like what happened in the, the skullduggery and the playing. It feels like you can make somebody can make a great uh, movie out of this. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that out loud. Uh, the last thing I want to sort of say here is maybe this is just a different time, but he, Michael Jordan staying in a hotel. So again, if the Michael Jordan and the Bulls are staying there, we're talking about celebrities of the highest order. And this hotel's just letting pizza guys, local area pizza guys, walk through the hall and take pizza to the guy. Is this a fucking Red Roof Inn? Like, I don't get it. It's yeah, pizza no, it's, it's, I, look, I bet it's not the Red Roof Inn. It's their own secluded during that thing hotel. Keep in mind, this is Park City, Utah. They're not built for celebrities like right, that right 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 you know right. what i'm saying yeah like this is not the, i don't want i'm wondering if, i can't remember if it was the four seasons hotel or whatever but you know if if you order whatever you order whatever it's it's no big deal it's <laughs> no yeah so you know you and i probably could have walked walked around there it's not like every time the bulls came out from their hotel plus it was up in the mountains yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know you know I, look i'm not from utah you know going up mountains to get to stand outside a hotel just see Hey, that ain't something I'm going to do. We're going to catch him when he comes down to the city. You know, so when, they, when they come to Utah. Yeah. You know, so I don't think there was a, like, large caravan of people, like, rolling up to their yeah. exclusive hotel. And so it was a celebrity role. That's what I'm getting right, at. Right, right. It no, was not celebrity role. And they were the only celebrities there. Right. And when you're the only celebrities and you're the enemy... Right. Yeah, man. Pizza, pizza, pizza guy. guy like, he can go there. He's, it's all good. Right. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you want. Do, do, it's, it's all good. <laughs> The Jason, I don't know how to say his last name. Jason Hare here, who he, the guy that directed the Last Dance, he yeah. told uh, on the Jalen and Jacoby show, the old Jalen Jacoby on ESPN. He told the story that Jordan said during his interviews for the Last Dance that no one else ate the pizza because Jordan spit on the pizza. Had you heard this story? Nah, I hadn't heard it. Okay. Not Jordan, according to the director, the director said that he has on tape that Jordan spit on this pizza, which I just want to add into evidence, feels like a drunk guy thing to do. When you're drunk, you go, ah, oh, nobody was going to eat my pizza. I'm going to spit all over it. And then nobody uh, eats your pizza. That sounds like a drunk guy thing to do. I ju it just feels like a lot of these opportunities are still in the air. We haven't eliminated anything yet. No, once again, I, I, I'll stay consistent with what I said earlier. All the above. I know. Right, right, right. Mike could have been like, yo, I'm going to order pizza. Anybody want some? And they're like, no, no, we're good. We're good. And then when the pizza gets there, yo, Mike, can I? No, I asked you if you want to. You know what? <laughs> F y'all. Spit, spit, spit. Y'all ain't get it. Y'all had your chance to get it. Now it's here. No, y'all didn't get any of this. I'm going to make sure that. I did. I mean, Mike would do that in a heartbeat. I believe it. I in believe a heartbeat. <laughs> that probably made him more sick than anything. Yeah. Is eating a full he pizza. He said enough in that moment to not only just probably spit on the pizza, but to eat the whole thing so that none of them even yeah. gets a chance to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's one of the reason why he could have been sick. Eating a yeah. full large Pizza Hut pizza will send you to the hospital. I mean, it's not like the top shelf pizza here. It's a full no, right, Pizza right. Hut pizza, my God. <laughs> right. And keep in mind, keep in mind, 
We're talking about Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan's pettiness or competitiveness to win will go that far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will eat this whole pizza just so you guys won't get shit. (laughs) See that? We're adding to the lore here. The next credential is the eye test. What did we see in this moment? Scoop, you already mentioned you were at this game live. You've already talked about seeing him as color. That was great color. It's first-person perspective. You were there. Was there anything else that you saw while you were there that might add to this moment? Just the unbelievability of this cat and watching how sick he was. Like, I think seeing it on TV is totally different than actually seeing it. Yes. Like, you know, to watch that 48 minutes, like, knowing that this dude is really that sick. Mm -hmm. You know, watching him... Like once he left the court, being like in that tunnel area and being back there and watching mm-hmm. him walk back and forth to the locker room, you know, the, the treatment that he was getting, you can really see how sick this guy is. Like, no, yes. this there's nobody that can act this good right. and fake this type of he's really, really, really sick. And then watching the performances, like this guy's incredible. You know, I mean that there's no way he should be able to do this. And and that's really it. You you mentioned it, and as a television guy, as a guy that works in television. When you watch something on television, even if it's a sporting event, your brain sort of disassociates a little bit because it's on TV, because it's on the screen that provides you entertainment. Your brain goes, well, I don't know how sick is he? Is he really that sick? But when you're there and you're seeing it all live, you go, oh, no, 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 that's a human being. And I've been that sick. I've seen that walk. I've seen that ice bag on the back of the neck. I know what that feels like. And it just puts you in a different mind state. I, I couldn't agree with you more. My eye test is from a TV production point of view a ton of close-ups of michael jordan in this moment and for the reason that you mentioned earlier the color of him and just for a moment to jump on the whole the way the michael jordan thing looks michael jordan being a beautiful person and having this perfectly even beautifully toned skin and the bald head and the shape of his head and he pulled off a mustache and no one has given him grief he just looks phenomenal the way michael jordan looks adds to any michael jordan moment i won't hear otherwise the the color of his uniform the red and the black and the white and the jordans just everything about the way this guy looks is additive to a michael jordan moment i won't hear otherwise god damn it but in this moment a ton of close-ups you're seeing that perfectly shaved head you're seeing the color you're seeing that sort of he had almost like a hangdog look on his face in a bunch of these moments like if you were to illustrate michael jordan from the flu game you'd all the lines on his face would be like sloping down because he had sort of that like dour depressed look about him and it matters here and then the last thing is it looked like he was just profusely sweating and again maybe i'm filling in some of the blanks from knowing that he's sick and obviously him not having hair and you seeing the sweat all over his head but he looks like he's just absolutely dripping with sweat these close-ups that nbc used really do a whale of a job at helping to tell the story that they continue on throughout the rest of this game sure and the other narrative is that what makes the story so hard to believe is that Michael had become so mythical at that time that mm-hmm. we didn't even believe he could even get sick. Yes. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't know. If this was, if this was, you know, Jeff Hornacek or <laughs> Carl Malone or Stockton, Antoine Carr, you know, Scottie Pippen, you'd be like, okay, they're sick. Right. But Michael was so mythical yeah. 
part of the reason all these narratives come out about what happened is because we're fighting. We were fighting that. Oh, this dude can't get sick. Yeah. You know, as great as we think Michael Jordan is, he's still a human being. Yes, hundred percent. He's still the He's not that great that he can't get ill for whatever reason. You're and you're you are exactly right. That is a that is a great point. That is a great point. Uh, th- let's keep moving. The next credential is the ear test. What did we hear in this moment? I'm going to play some clips from the game. Let's listen to them together. The first one is not a Michael Jordan and or Michael Jordan flu uh, moment. It is a a call in the pregame show from Hannah Storm. I heard it was like, oh, this is going into the episode. It just is. Let's listen to it together. Hannah Storm here. First, let's start with the news on Dennis Rodman tonight. Now, during this series, Rodman has made some offensive and derogatory remarks regarding the Mormon religion. Okay. <laughs> I just, I'm not, I, I do not want to lose my Mormon listeners. I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at the Mormons or what it is that Dennis Rodman said about Mormons, which I'll tell you in a second what he said because I researched it. I am saying that's a very funny sentence to hear, you know, 30 years after the fact. It just, I'm sorry. That's a funny sentence to hear that Dennis Rodman has been offensive to Mormons. What did he say? I went and looked it up. J.A. Adande in the Washington Post said, uh, has a quote from uh, Dennis Rodman. This was what he said. They were asking Rodman about his slow sort of start to the series, his low numbers. And Rodman said, quote, it's difficult to get in sync because of all the fucking Mormons out here. I mean, (laughs) listen, again, I'm not defending what he said. I'm not laughing in the Mormons. I am saying when you are asked a question about why you haven't been rebounding the ball the same, to come up with that as an answer is in the comedy world conceptually very funny. I'm sorry. I'm going to stand by that. And keep in mind who's (laughs) actually saying it. You know what I'm saying? Let's 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 take in mind who Dennis Rodman is yeah. or specifically was at that point in time. What else should we expect him to say? That's right. <laughs> it's like Charles Barkley talking about the women of San that's Antonio. Right. That's exactly right. He's, yeah, he's, he's look. He, Rodman is turning heel in this moment. He's he's being like a bad guy. He's having some fun. And but he yeah, obviously exactly. isn't blaming the Mormons for his rebounding stats. He's just being funny. And you could be like, that's not funny which you'd be wrong if you were to say that. But you, don't get mad at the guy. Don't be like he hates Mormons. He clearly doesn't hate Mormons. And, you know, even if he does, you know, <laughs> that shouldn't be the comment that makes you feel that he hates you. When Rodman was told there would be an outrage if he had said the same thing about Jewish people, Rodman replied, quote, I wouldn't say that about Jewish people, just Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It just, it, it, listen, I'm going to, cl- we're going to move it on, but I did think it was funny. I, and I realized well, you know what, what, it, what is funny is that <laughs> look, Robin, Robin knew. <laughs> Robin knew. He doesn't know you're going to detail, but Robin knew. Yeah, Rodman was a real entertainer. Okay, let's get back to Jordan and the flu game. Here's Marv Albert at the start of the telecast. Let's listen to this together. And we welcome you. Hi, everybody. I'm Marv Albert along with Matt Kukas and Bill Walton. Now, the big story here tonight, the story concerning Michael Jordan's physical conditions. This Jordan arriving about two hours ago. He is suffering from flu-like symptoms. 
made his way onto the court just moments ago. And as you see right here, looking a bit shaky. He was up all last night, spent all day in bed, did not eat at all, did not uh, go to the shoot-around earlier today, did not practice. So uh, his status is uncertain. It, 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 we didn't have social media at the time. So when the game starts and you hear this, that could be the first time you're ever hearing any of this. And for Marv to start painting this picture, and they painted a masterpiece throughout this broadcast. But for Marv to start this broadcast in that way is electric. The next person up, Ahmad Rashad, dear, close, very real friend of Michael Jordan, who you know is getting the inside information straight from MJ. Here's what Ahmad has to say. All right, thanks, Marv. At 3.30 this morning, Michael Jordan woke up with flu-like symptoms. He had a stomach ache and a headache, and he couldn't go back to sleep. He threw up all night, and as reported earlier, he missed the shoot-around, but he was in bed all day and continued to throw up. As a matter of fact, he got in here early. When I went to talk to him back in the back room, he was in a dark room trying to get some rest, but, but still throwing up. And, Marv, I talked to him. I said, how do you feel? He said, I really feel horrible. But his history in games where he's either been hurt or sick has been bad news for the opponent. And as you can see, he's ready to go tonight. Marv? Prescient and gutsy there from Ahmad to sort of throw that little detail in, which apparently is true, that in games yeah. where Jordan has usually been sick, he ends up playing very well. Yeah, he does. He does. And, you know, but to me, um, I don't – I get what Amal said, and he's true. He is, he can factually back that up that in games he hasn't been 100%. He still plays well. But what you said earlier to open up the show, Neil, this wasn't just a regular game. Right. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think what's happened in the past when he's been sick has anything to do with this. This is the NBA Finals. The series is tied. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The 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 you start thinking about the close-ups and you th- start thinking about Jordan sweating and you start thinking about his color and you start thinking about his face and you start thinking about the ice packs on the back and Pippen carrying him off and you start thinking about the things like you know Ahmad and Marv are saying here at the top of the game. You're starting to see this great story, this great yarn being woven. To me, this is the master stroke. Jazz are up eight points in the fourth quarter. MJ goes to work. He gets a jumper. He gets a rebound. He throws a great pass up court to Kukoch for a three. Then MJ freezes John Stockton with a pass fake and makes a big three-pointer to tie the game. This is like the ultimate moment. This is like the climax of the game for the Bulls. They come back. They get even in the fourth quarter. Here's the call from Marv Albert in this moment. Jordan fires for three. And he did it in casual form. And you can see how exhausted Michael Jordan is. No reaction after the shot. Just happy to go to the bench as timeout is called. And here's Bill Walton. This is after the timeout. Come back. Bill Walton after that timeout with a breakdown of the same play. Poise, confidence, discipline. The exchange between Pippen and Jordan once, twice. Right back. You do it, big guy. Pump fake, freezes the defense, the jumper, net. Then he staggers back to the bench, near exhaustion, ready to fall over. He's got his team tied now. (laughs) Where is that bench? He gets there and sits back. (laughs) They put the ice bag on his neck. 
He won't even take the Gatorade. He doesn't want to waste any energy. No <laughs> high fives, no lifting water to his mouth. He is exhausted. A heroic performance by Michael Jordan. I mean, that's that's some pretty good goddamn storytelling. By the way, Matty no. Gukas, former Magic coach Matty Gukas was in there as well. Yeah. Great storytelling by this NBC team. Great, great. And I, I haven't even, without even seeing it, I remember once that shot went in, and tell me if I'm wrong, once that shot went in, it's almost like his body went limp. Yes. Like the minute his feet yes. touched the ground and went to that, his body just, yes. like, his just went like limp. down down 100%. Yeah, everything yes. is like, Everything like he so ramped himself up to get to that point yep. so that okay now we're back on the level playing field that uh, yeah like I remember like watching that and it's like everything just left his body at that yes. moment like I got I got nothing <clears throat> fucking left like yep. I hate I hate to say this I hate to say this the smartest thing for Utah probably to have done in that moment was not call timeout yes. To oh, make him yeah, go yeah, back yeah, and play yeah, defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he was that shot with you. He was done. Yes. If they had just run down court, tried to score, right. they would have been five on four basketball oh, because he had nothing idea. left. Oh, that's a fascinating idea. I you're I think you're totally right. He there he needed a break. He needed a second. He had that was he it. Needed it was gone. Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He need he needed oh. that exchange back and forth to get to that point, to get to that shot. <laughs> Once it went in, if they would have not, if they oh, had just I love taken that. the ball out and ran, oh. it would have been so easy for them to get back the lead immediately. Oof. That's so much fun to think about. And force the Bulls to call a timeout after that because Michael would have been like, I can't get back up court. Right, yes. Ugh. Uh, there's a, there's also a tip dunk earlier in this game where Jordan tips like a Pippen. Same thing. And dunks in it. Yep. And he does that like uh, – Sean Kemp used to do like after dunk theatrics, which I love dearly and I hold them close to my heart forever and ever and ever. Shaq did one where he dunked a ball and like did this thing with his hand. It almost looked like martial arts. Jordan has this tip dunk where he does this like thing with his hands where you, you're thinking he's going to do some like showboaty sort of theatrics and histrionics. And it's like, he can't even do it. And his arms like just fall down and he tries to get back on defense. I always remember that dunk, that tip dunk and that hand thing from Jordan, but I didn't know it was from the flu game until I rewatched it this. And now when I watch it, I go, Oh, that's not post dunk theatrics. It's him going, God, I'm exhausted and putting yes. his hands down. He can't finish it. All he's trying to do is gather himself. Yeah. It's all he, he's like, yeah. He's just trying to gather. That's all he's trying to do is gather himself. Uh, he's like, I got, I got nothing. You know what I'm saying? I got nothing. As much as we talk about Michael during this game, I don't think enough credit has been given historically to the role Scottie Pippen played yes, in this game. I totally agree. In being the single person yep. throughout this entire game to get him back. Yep. Like. Come on, man. Walk to the bench. I got you. Talking to him. Like, because the minute all the energy leaves his body, mm -hmm. Scotty is back there replenishing his yes. body with yes. the energy that's going right. to be needed once they get back on the court. Oof. And he did this throughout the entire game. I think Scottie Pippen might be the most underrated player in the history of the NBA. That's my opinion. I'm saying that out loud. I agree with you. I think it could be Scottie Pippen. All right. I agree with you. Two more Scoop Jackson personal questions before we move back into the flu game. You grew up with Tim Hardaway. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, we grew up uh, three blocks from oh one another. God. What is Tim yeah. Hardaway like as a kid? Big trash talker, I presume? Well, now here's the thing. <laughs> it's funny because Tim is four years younger than me. Got it. Right? 
So he was like a kid to you. You were like, he's just some neighborhood kid to you. Yeah, well, it's his thing. We used to play, there's a park in Chicago called Eckersaw Park. The, the neighborhood was kind of like our neighborhood park and okay. played it. And I was, I was pretty decent as a, you know, basketball player, you know, <laughs> never up to Tim's level. I love this. But, you know, um, Tim being four years younger than me, in high school, we go up there and play. And I was, you know, I was like the, I was like the neighborhood point guard. Like, yeah, oh yeah, man, yeah. school, you know. <laughs> so when I left to go to college, we moved out the neighborhood, right? Yeah. So I never went back to the park because we moved to another neighborhood. Not the same neighborhood, just further away. So right. I never really got back to the park to hoop anymore. But by the time I came back really to visit, you know, they were like, hey, man, you remember Lil Bug? Because that was Timmy's nickname. Mm. Man, Lil Bug is running the park. I'm like, wait, Lil Bug running the park? <laughs> Lil Bug is running the park. <laughs> after, it's like, after you left, Lil Bug took over. I'm like, Lil Bug's in eighth grade when I left. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, please. Lil, Lil, look, Lil Bug was for real. I really got to spend more time with him once I got out of college and he got into college when he was at UTEP. UTEP, yeah. You know, and he'd come home and it'd be like, yo, you know, because he he was a big, big he was a big deal back then. You know, by the time he was at UTEP, Timmy was a big deal. And we were all like, you know, man, he's he's like he's he was the neighborhood guy who did good. The UTEP. You know, but he was same attitude, same funny, same joyous, same talk shit, you know, on the Tim was Tim was Tim was Tim is still the exact same way. We talked talked about earlier moments where someone's supposed to be at a specific place at a specific time. Thank God Tim Hardaway goes to UTEP so that we get the UTEP two-step. One of the world-class nicknames ever for a move. Fantastic. Uh, You were also a writer consultant for MTV's Rock and Jock. Is that true? Yes, I did do Rock and Jock. I loved Rock and Jock as a kid. What did, were you responsible for anything? Were you responsible for like the 50 points? What, like what were you, did you write anything that ended up making its way into the game? Well, I wrote everything, all the scripts that all uh, the announcers and yeah, yeah, yeah. presenters were reading and this, that, and uh, the other. But here's what's funny that I try to take credit for. Backstreet Boys yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was supposed to be in the original Rock and Jock game. Okay. For some reason, Rock and Jock basketball game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, they got... They couldn't make it. Okay. So NSYNC had just, like, literally, <laughs> their single had just right. come out. <laughs> I knew that Justin Timberlake, don't ask me why I knew about NSYNC, but I, I had no idea. <laughs> but I knew Justin Timberlake loved and played basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I called Jack Miss, hey, man, that new group that yes. just had yes. their single release With on MTV, see if they get him, because that kid... <laughs> The one with the curly hair, yeah, yeah. He, he like he plays hoop. He hoops. <laughs> MTV gets NSYNC to replace. Oh my gosh! Kids on the new block. I mean, new kids on the block <laughs> for that game, and that's their first real MTV appearance. <laughs> so I have run around for years claiming that I discovered NSYNC. Right? <laughs> Here's where it gets funny. Like two years after that game. I'm in LA and the LA mall that's on um what's it's on La Cienega, I think. Okay. The LA mall that's upstairs. Two years after that, Justin Timberlake is there. Mm. He's in the mall, going into the mall, and I'm going like I'm like going up the escalator, like right behind him, like, oh snap, that's Justin. <laughs> and I, hey Justin, what up, man? It's Scoop from you know Rocket Jock, this, that, and the other. 
And he's like, yeah, I can do whatever. He's like, dude, listen, Neil, I'm going to tell you how stupid I am. I'm like, dude, I discovered you. I'm the one that put you in. He's like, yo, can somebody get this dude away from me? (laughs) That's so funny. What a great story. Can I please get this dude dude away from me? So he goes into the store and security's like, oh, no, Mr. Timberlake. But I'm like, I'm acting like I really discovered this dude. Like, it's really mean to something. I want him to know that. That's amazing. You absolutely are stupid. It's it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. You did. Yes, no, that is true. I, I, I did. I did. I was the writer. Oh my for, God, uh, MTV's Rock and Jock, the first inaugural <laughs> MTV Rock and Jock basketball game. You you may not have discovered in sick. I don't know that I can get fully behind that. But no, 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 I can, no, Justin no, no. Timberlake I tried. I, 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 I tried. Justin Timberlake as a basketball player owns his entire career to Scoop Jackson. That is immutably true. <laughs> <laughs> The next credentials are test of time. This is when we compare this moment against other moments like it. Maybe there's a better sort of someone playing very well on a championship series when he's not a hundred percent story. Maybe there's one that's as good. Let's go through them. Rondo 2011 Rondo broke his arm. What about, what about Isaiah's 25 point quarter on the bad wheel? That moment. That's the one I was about to go through. I said, that's the only one I think that can match. Yes. Anything Jordan did that game against the Lakers mm. and what Isaiah did. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. That, and, I, you know, sickness is one thing, but yeah. injury is something yes. different. That yes. totally did. There's no way, no way Isaiah should have done yes. what he did yes. in that. And keep in mind who he's doing it to. Yes. I mean, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade at Utah. You know what right. I'm saying? They, they got their finals for two years for a reason. Yep. But this is the Lakers. Yes. As a kid, like this is for me. Like I was a kid when that Isaiah thing happened, and I've always been diehard Lakers, purple and gold the whole time. I'm watching that game, and Detroit is my local team because I'm from Toledo, Ohio. So Detroit, every Detroit game I'm watching with my old man, every single Detroit game, I have a massive love for Chuck Daly because of my father watching all of the Pistons games. When the Pistons make the championship, I'm like, the Lakers are going to crush these dudes. And then Isaiah has that quarter, and I'm like, I don't just hate Isaiah. I fear him. I was like, that guy can do anything in the world. That's one of the best basketball players I've ever seen, all because of that moment. That moment will always hold an exalted status in my head. I really appreciate you feeling the same. Yeah, and what bothers me historically about us living in this era where we say championships matter. Right. And then putting that at the forefront of the narrative of how we mm-hmm. like gauge individual greatness. Show me a moment that Stockton or Steve Nash, you know, and I'm gonna throw him out, I'm gonna throw his name out there, and, and I don't want to say anything about him because of who he is. Steph Curry's never had a moment like that. Agreed. Like nobody has ever had at that position a moment. And keep in mind who he's doing it against. Yes. He's doing it against the guy who's basically the greatest point guard almost ever in most people's minds, right? Yep. And even who's got like nine inches on Zeke mm-hmm. if he's happened to be guarding him. <laughs> but they're throwing Michael Cooper, one of the greatest defenders ever. in the history of mankind, on his dude, and he can't stop him. <laughs> it was amazing. It's amazing. So to me, let's look put this as a content. You give Isaiah Thomas two championship rings and add that performance yes. on top of it. Yes. 
Why are we not talking about I, him the same way I, we talk about everybody? I could you know? not agree more with you. For me, every time they start having that conversation about best point guard, it's like magic, and then someone says, Steph, I go, how dare you all not be devoting a ton of time to Isaiah Thomas? And again, I, I do, in a, in a way, I sort of go, I don't know how much of this is like the hometown guy or at least home area guy from perspective for me, but Isaiah Thomas – He's both of us. I'm from Chicago. Right, so it's yes, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Right, right, right. I, I right. just go, Isaiah Thomas is one of the, he, that performance and what he did with those Pistons in that era against Larry magic and Mike, it cannot be ignored. Nope. You said early, you think Scottie Pippen is probably the most underrated player ever. And I agree with that, but I also think that Isaiah Thomas in this context, mm -hmm. also, is he might be number two, mm -hmm. but he may be the most underappreciated player I, over Scotty. I love that. Scotty's probably underrated, but I can't, I don't know if he's more underappreciated than Isaiah oh, Thomas. I is. love that. I love that choice of words. I love the difference between those two words. I couldn't agree with you more. When I watch those moments in, in The Last Dance where, where Isaiah's like, whatever that meme is, where he's like, I fit the criteria. People make that a joke or they use it as a meme on social media. I look at that and I feel so bad for Isaiah in that moment. When I watch him talk about that and think about that, I go, and listen, the game is the game. And MJ had the gas to be like, you want me on the Olympics team? You're not taking this dude. And I, listen, hats off. Jordan was the guy. Like he gets it. He deserves it. But I always look back at Zeke in that moment and go, that clearly meant a lot to him. And it, it guts me to see him have to think about that moment and be sad about it. I couldn't agree with you more. Underappreciate right. a perfect word to use about Isaiah. I also get the power dynamics and how this thing is going to play out. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if given the choice of having to choose between yep. one of the two, even with Coach Chuck Daly being there, I get those, those dynamics. Yep. What I don't get is why not making that team is part of the conversation attached to his career. Great question. To me, it shouldn't make a difference at all. Great you know what I'm saying? Great it shouldn't question. make a difference. Yeah. That team, especially understanding the politics, because what you're doing is holding something against, against him as if he mm. didn't earn the right to be there. You are, you are It's not, oh, he's one of the greatest, but he wasn't on the dream team. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, stop. That should never, ever, ever be a part of that conversation. You are a you, you are very good at this. You are a great writer. You are a great podcaster. You are a great thinker. And this is a great episode because you're here and I'm you're you are dragging me okay. along. I am the Randy Brown to your Michael Jordan during this episode. <laughs> and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh let's go to the press conference. It's the next credential. Any great quotes from this? There are a, a ton of them. Let, hey, I just mentioned Randy Brown. Let's let's listen to Randy Brown's quote. He said, the atmosphere, quote, the atmosphere was kind of weird. Everybody was whispering, and that's when I walked in the back room, and he was like half dead. He was bent over. A couple of doctors were holding him up. He was real weak. He had no balance. Like, you think about playing basketball when someone's, you know, seeing you and saying these types of things about you. It's just amazing. Scotty Pippen says, quote, I've never seen Michael as sick as this, unquote. Phenomenal sentence. Here's one from the Dr. Jeffrey Weinberg, the Bulls team physician, quote, I was just sitting there hoping he didn't pass out. There was nothing else I could do. He looked a couple times in the third and fourth quarter like he was going to pass out, unquote. And then I heard this quote from the same doctor, Dr. Jeffrey Weinberg, Bulls team physician. Let's listen to this together. 
After the game, he looked terrible. He looked like he was going to pass out. Um, we lied him down in the locker room. The blood pressure was okay. He was so weak that he couldn't drink. They had a doctor there that wanted to give him an IV, and he's so afraid of needles, he wouldn't let the guy give him the IV. Absolutely not. We had to force feed him Gatorade, and uh, took about 30 or 45 minutes of giving him a lot of Gatorade, and then he was finally able to stand up and felt okay. I mean, this is world-class storytelling. The, the, during the moment, after the moment, it's just a, it's just a lovely moment to think about. That's a doctor who's taking the Hippocratic Oath telling us that he had to nurse Michael Jordan with Gatorade so he could stand up. I mean, that's pretty good. True or false, I don't even care. That's well, a hell of a story. Neil, here's the deal. That, to me, had more to do with exhaustion than it did illness. Right. Fair. Expending the energy that he had to expend to get out of himself what he got out of and pull out a victory, mm -hmm. that's exhaustion. That's a man two hours giving you something beyond human capacity. Mm -hmm. And once he is able to stand afterwards, mm -hmm. he's done. Yeah. At that time after the game, I think the illness, the viruses was in him, uh, is gone. All he, we're dealing with now is strictly exhaustion from this man giving two hours of his life to a game. He didn't just you know, beat the Utah Jazz. He beat, he beat the illness. Yes. <laughs> I love it. And if we look back at all athletes and on your podcast, what you try to do is look at these moments. Yes. The criteria that I think should be not really above everything, but on, on, on the same line, mm -hmm. on the same bet line as everything else, should be did the athlete meet or exceed the moment? Yeah, so and I, and I think that's sure. what it is. Michael, we talk about that, we say it, and it's overused, did, you know, did he meet the moment? Yeah, Michael more than met that moment because of the illness. Any other great quotes? Here's one from Bernie Linsicum in the Chicago Tribune the day after this game under the headline, Queasy Does It. I'm, I'm going to read straight from this article, which normally I wouldn't do, but we've got a great writer, Scoop Jackson. I want to hear your opinion of the Scoop. This is from the article. It means more to Michael Jordan, not only because he is Michael Jordan, but also because he will not always be Michael Jordan. Further into the article, quote, I think expectations of what Michael Jordan does, Jordan said, this is Jordan talking, make people realize that there are going to be games when I can't live up to the fantasy or to the hype that people have built Michael Jordan to be. I'm accustomed to living with that. Bernie Linscombe writes, Jordan does not usually lapse into the third person, but at least he did not refer to himself simply as Michael. He was speaking to the press after the game for failure but also to that other Jordan, the one manufactured by commerce and enriched by accomplishment, that other Jordan will exist only as long as this one can keep the fantasy alive. Quote, this is Jordan again, I'd rather make it exciting and score 60 points and win, Jordan said, but there are going to be nights when I can't do that. I have to accept that and look at it as a motivational situation. Maybe next game. 
unquote. That is Jordan after game four when the Jazz win. And Jordan, whatever, had like 22 or something, 23. Didn't have his best game. That is Jordan saying, maybe I can't live up to the hype. I don't know. But there's a fantasy about me, and I got to do what I got. But maybe I can do it again next game. That's what he says before the flu game. Yes. And he puts that pressure on himself. Oh, my and God. Don't, don't think that as he's sick, game four is not playing out in his head. Oh. Game four is not playing out in his head. It's like, I, I, can't, I can't take this game off. And he do whatever he could to try to make sure that they won this game. Right. But the, what he exuded offensively, especially from a point production standpoint, was different in my mind because of what happened that game before. And that's what's going on in his mind. Fascinating to think about. He had 22 in game four. I just looked it up. 22 in game four. To think about that impacting this game. Oh, yeah. my God. That's amazing to think about. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 here's the next credential. Devil's Advocate. I don't usually do this, but I have to here. He, let, me poke, let me try and poke a hole through Jordan's flu game. He does a ton of his work at the free throw line. 10 of 12 from the line. He had a bunch of great games from the supporting gas. Longley was 6 of 7. Ku coach was 3 of 4 from deep. Bison Daly, rest in peace. Super active, 7 points, 4 boards, 2 steals. Chicago had 10 offensive rebounds as a team. Scoop, you brought up Scotty Pippen and what Scotty did through this moment. This isn't all about Michael. Scotty is there. Phil said that about Scotty. You heard that about Scotty as well. Uh, uh, picking up Jordan, saying, I'm going to concentrate on defense. Michael didn't have some incredible streak of 12 points. He didn't have like a super run during this game. He missed three straight shots late in the fourth with Chicago behind. He missed a big free throw late with Chicago behind. Tony Kukoc had a brilliant pass to Luke Longley for Chicago's final basket to ice the game. The moment when Jordan collapsed into Scotty's arm, do you know what happened right before that? Kukoc throws a world-class pass to Longley for the dunk. All of the attention goes to Michael Jordan, but there were a ton. Of, this is like Scottie Pippen erasure. This is to, to the game that his supporting cast has was amazing. Let's not put this all about Jordan. Does that, am I successfully taking anything away from Michael Jordan? You have no, to decide that as you're listening to this at home. But if you don't believe me, let's listen once more to Dr. Jeffrey Weinberg, the Bulls team physician. Here's what Jeffrey Weinberg had to say in the ESPN Sports Century about this game. You've been up for. I don't know, six or seven hours with a headache and nausea. I examined him. He um, wasn't dehydrated. He wasn't having diarrhea. He did not vomit that I know of. He did not have any diarrhea. He did not have any bad pizza that caused anything like that. Thought he probably had a virus. He wanted to play. His blood pressure, his vital signs, everything else was fine. I, what are we talking about here, Scoop? Is is have, have we created this story where Michael Jordan was? It's, if we listen to the doctor and we think about the game that everybody else has, is have I taken any of the shine away from Michael Jordan's flu game? Not at all. Not at all. Not, but, but, because I mean, the spotlight was on him, and the fact that he did what he did—that's incredible. But once again, it's still thirty from an offensive standpoint. It's thirty-eight points out of ninety. Right. But you're also holding a team to 88 points. Right. This is why the Chicago Bulls are always going to be considered one of the greatest teams mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And why, to me, 
the Michael Scotty, I mean the Michael LeBron argument tips the scale Michael's way. There's not one team you could say LeBron James has played on that can even compete close to this Bulls team. You get I do. I understand what you're saying. And but but it goes to what you're saying. You're not taking any shine away from Michael. Right. We're talking about this team. Yeah. And that's why one of the things I fight against like the analytics. Stop looking at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Because when you have a team where everybody knows what their roles are, mm-hmm. the numbers are not what dictate victory right. That's right. and defeat. It's everybody playing to the level of their capability because yeah. they know what their roles are. Yes. I, I couldn't. I, to me, that's more beautiful. That's a more beautiful thing than some wild game and, you know, 50, 60 points in, the, in a closeout game, whatever it is. Everyone knowing their role and playing to those strengths and doing their job. I think it's beautiful. Right, right. And that's what I'm saying. I don't think you could take LeBron's Cleveland teams, the Laker team, the Miami team. You put one, none of his teams are in the greatest team conversations, period. Agreed. Okay. But you take any one of his championship teams and put them against his Bulls team. Like you said, it's going to be tough stuff, Michael. Mm -hmm. LeBron's going to have somebody guarding and probably two people through the course of a game. But definitely Scottie Pippen. He's never had anybody play defense on him the way Scottie mm-hmm. Pippen probably Not would. Even and LeBron is great enough to adjust to that. Yes. You get what I'm saying? He's mm-hmm. great enough to adjust to that. But what I'm saying is that even as great as his teammates were, they will never be as consistent throughout a series doing what Michael's teams did in filling the gaps of what they need to do to pull out victories like this. Scoop, let me ask you a question. I was just, I just had a podcast with Trill Withers. We did the Jordan Shrug, which made it into the first Bell Hall of Fame. The, I was, he reminded me that in the first series, he had the, he switched hands. And then the second title, he had the shrug. And then he had the collapsing after his father passed and he had uh, um, the, you know, holding the shot up uh, in the last one. And he had the flu game collapsing. He had all these, he had a, he had a legit signature moment in every title he won. Yes. Why is it that Michael Jordan has all of these like moments that are so crystalline and anyone that was fortunate enough to watch him? All of these singular moments that are so crystallized, so clear, so branded, so special. And when you think about LeBron, he's got the block, and that's kind of it. Why is that? Well, even with throwing out LeBron in this conversation, the answer to your question is, he is him. (laughs) Man. You hear all these athletes running around talking about, I'm him, I'm him, no. (laughs) Michael is him, capital H. (laughs) Oh my god. And no disrespect to LeBron, you know, yeah, LeBron's go LeBron's go too. You know what I'm saying? Yes. LeBron's there. Yes. But when you are he, capital H, <laughs> you have <laughs> these signature moments uh. in multitude. It's not just LeBron. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Magic Johnson doesn't have these multiple mm-hmm. moments. Right. Hakeem okay. Olajuwon doesn't have yes. these multiple moments. Kobe Bryant doesn't have these multiple. Shaquille O'Neal. Look, I'll go, I'll go further than that. Serena Williams and Tom Brady don't have these many moments. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you're kind of right. Right. Oof. We can go. To, Lionel Messi doesn't have these moments. 
Oh my God. That is a lot of fun to think about what I'm sitting here going. Why, what is it about the time or media? What is it that gives Jordan these moments? What if the answer is no, 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 he's the best of all time across all sports. And that's the reason. Now that gives me chills. There's only, there's only one I can think of that's had a couple of those. And that's Muhammad Ali. Yeah, for sure. Yep. He's to me, he's the only one. Oh my God. This is a blast. I've had so many funny list. He had two sunny listed moments, right? Yes, yes, yes. One specifically, yeah, yeah. yeah one specifically. Get up the, yeah, the right. Push, yeah. He had the he had the Joe Frazier moment. Uh huh. He definitely had the George Foreman moment. For sure, for sure. I mean, we we have the Cleveland Summit in the first Ballot Hall of Fame. We did the Cleveland Summit with Michael Area. Yeah, yeah. You know, so even 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 that moment in terms of uh, of the world of sports. Uh, it's an amazing moment when you think about it from all these different angles. It's just amazing. You're right. It's may, maybe it's my Ali and MJ. This has been so much fun to do. I don't know at what I don't know how much Rob has edited out of this episode, but I have so thoroughly enjoyed talking about this moment with you and listening to you. This Appreciate it, man. Mind. Glad we had a chance to really thoroughly get through it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Here's the the last category before we move on to our voting. The X factor. I've got an X factor I want to present to you. Annie Sarnblad, she's a world-class facial micro-expressions expert. I've had her on this to read Damian Lillard's face in the Damian Lillard wave episode. First episode we did with Dragonfly Jones. Annie came on and read the Damian Lillard footage. I had her do this about two clips. I'll get to that in a second. Annie Sarnblad, just so you know. The concept of facial micro-expressions is that the human body, the human face in specific, reacts to stimuli whether you want it to or not as a person. So chin dimpling, eye bulging, muscle twitching, you cannot stop your face from reacting to certain stimuli. It happens 100% of the time. It doesn't matter whether you're white, black, Chinese, old, young, your face reacts 100% of the time. I find this fascinating. Annie is brought into complex negotiations for Fortune 500 companies to sit on the other side of the table and read the faces of the CEOs on the other side as they're during negotiations. This woman is fascinating, and she is a captain of her industry, world-class micro uh, facial microexpression. She doesn't really follow sports all that much. She has agreed to give us a reading of two things. One, I sent her the clip of Jordan and Tim Grover and Jordan's best friend telling the story of what happened in this moment from The Last Dance, which I take a little bit for granted that everyone listening knows this, but here's this story so you can all hear it now. The night before the game, we were all in Michael's room, hanging out. But it's like 10, 10.30 at night. I'm hungry. No room service. Michael gets hungry. So, all right, so we're calling all these different places. George and I are looking around. We find one pizza place open. One. So he ordered a pizza. And uh, when the pizza came, there was four or five guys outside the door. Five guys delivering one pizza. You know, it's very rare that you get five delivery guys from, you know, the pizza place to bring you your pizza. And they're all trying to look in, and, you know, everybody knew his mind. So I take the pizza, I pay, I pay them, and I, I put this pizza down, and I, I said, I got a bad feeling about this. I eat the pizza all by myself. Nobody else eats. I eat the pizza. <laughs> I wake up about 2.30, throwing up left and right. Three o'clock in the morning, I get a call. My room, hey, man, come to your room right now. 
All right, I can get into him. He's literally curled up in a ball, shaking. He goes, man, find a team doc now. So it really wasn't the flu game. It was, it was food poisoning. So I send that clip to Annie, and I have her watch it. Her reaction? She says, I watch it a couple times. I see some suppression, holding back, and vulnerability. I don't really see clear evidence of lying. There are possibly a couple places where I could have asked for more info. Uh, she wrote, the other thing with this kind of story, if they are lying, they may not show deep guilt about it because they don't feel it's a shameful thing to lie about it. She goes on to say, Brady was definitely lying about Deflategate. That was clear in his answers, but clearly showed he felt that deflating was justified. Uh, I th So this is... Annie's saying she does not see any clear evidence of Jordan, Tim Grover, or Jordan's best friend lying in this moment. I then sent Annie another clip of Craig Fight, who is the pizza man from Pizza Hut in Utah. He gave this interview to Colin Cowherd. Let's listen to this. Who called you guys at Pizza Hut? So I was not on the phone call. What was happening was the driver had gotten the phone call. He was taking it. So when the call came at night, the driver kind of waved at me and pointed down because he knew I was a Bulls fan. He says, hey, I think it's I think it's the Bulls. It was funny. I, I happened to make the joke. I was like, I need to take care of this because, you know, in, in joking manner, mind you, I was said, I got to make this pizza. I don't trust any of you guys. You're all jazz fans. You all do something to this pizza. So I went ahead and made the pizza. <laughs> so you made a delicious pizza, thin crust. Then you went over by yourself? No, I had a driver, which I keep telling everybody, God forgive me. I cannot remember who the driver is. And uh, But we went ahead and uh, I had him take me over because it was my first delivery. So it's not abnormal, if you will, to have two people go to a delivery at once just to watch the you know, to learn the process. Here's what Annie had to say about this moment. I'm still watching this clip again, but every time he mentions the bulls, he shows disgust in his face. She mentioned specifically, I'll put these clips all on our socials at first ballot pod on Twitter at first ballot HOF on Instagram. When, when Craig fight says, I need to take care of this meaning I need to take care of making this pizza. He shows disgust. She says, I definitely don't trust him. She continues, fishy business, and he's holding back with at least some info. This is what I want to say about what Annie has given me and what I have deduced from listening to Craig Fight's interview with Craig Colin Coward. You remember that you got this call, that your driver took the phone call. You remember your driver driving you over, but you don't remember his name? Very weird. Also, he says it's not weird for two guys to deliver a pizza together. Yes, it is. That is weird. He says it's not weird because two guys go over because one of them's learning the process. Learn the process of delivering a pizza? Have you ever bought a pizza before? You know how that process works. Lastly, Craig Fight says that's his first pizza delivery of his career we already know that that happened at 10 o'clock at night or later. I do not buy what Craig Fight is saying. And what I want to reopen the door and keep the door open firmly about, I believe there's at least a chance of skullduggery, of po poison.
And if there, if any of that is true, this is a world-class moment. This is a world-class moment. Your thoughts on my perhaps insane theory, Mr. Jackson? No, once again, I, I think there's enough evidence there to add some proof to the theory, um, except, yeah, yeah, the one thing that stands out to me that I, that I get, that I, I do believe he's lying, but he's lying with purpose, is the name of the guy. Right. I, I think he knows it, but I think in this situation, he doesn't want to say it. Right. And he shouldn't say it. Like, why should you out this guy? Because right. you don't want somebody to be the next Steve Bartman of basketball. You know what I'm saying? Why do that to somebody? So uh, 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 I think he knows, but I think he's being protective. Right. It's time for the co-sign. Scoop Jackson, does, the, does Michael Jordan's flu game belong in the first ballot Hall of Fame, and why? Because we saw probably the greatest basketball player of all time in my mind, do something that he didn't need to do. <laughs> he didn't need, he, you know, when you've proven everything, right. you don't have anything to prove. He could have, he uh, literally could have opted out of that game and with his own arrogance and confidence, been like, I can win games six and seven. I've never heard this line of thought and I could not agree more. He didn't really have to do this. He didn't have to do this. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't. And that's why that's why I said it's okay, because this is something he didn't have to do. Uh, I, that, that warms. It's time for the induction speech. I, I get to make the decision this thing goes in. I'm going off that right there. I have never heard that in my life. I've never heard someone say that. To save that for the finish line. This is something he didn't even need to do for himself. He did it because that's who this guy is. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Bison Daly, Phil Jackson, Scoop Jackson... Welcome to the first ballot hall of fame. May your plaque hang on these walls forever. Fantastic. What an episode scoop. How can people follow you? Do you have anything to plug? Uh, nothing to plug except for the uh, release of the book, uh, ice wild born to score. Uh, that's out in bookstores and online and you know, all places right now. You always follow my columns in the Chicago sometimes Instagram account is my company, strong Island media shy. What you call it is uh, uh, the the X. I keep wanting to say Twitter. It's hard for me to say X, but whatever. Is OG three scoop, and you know, still the old school Facebook Scoop Jackson writer. So I'm easy to find, man. Support this man. He is the best, Scoop Jackson. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Nah, Neil, no problem. It's an honor, man. I appreciate being on. This is a good one. This is this is fun. This is a good one. And don't forget, we got to go do a part two. So you know, we're doing it. That's it. That's the show. Scoop Jackson. Follow Scoop Jackson. Read his book. Support that man. A thrill to have him on the show, and you heard him. We got to get him back. Thanks again to Scoop. I just I really just like knowing I can call him that. Shout outs today to Patrick Bernadeau. He wrote the loveliest tweet. This is what he wrote I can't believe I hadn't heard of this podcast before, but after listening as someone obsessed with old school basketball and a giant uh, Troll Withers fan, I'm hooked. Love the concept and flow of conversation, detailed and expansive breakdown at first ballot pod just got a subscriber that's so lovely i don't know what it was i don't know if it was the holiday or the wording that he chose i don't know that just landed on me i really appreciate it thank you patrick uh thank you so much for listening giving us a chance i hope you listen to the back catalog the library that's where it's at great guests great listeners decent host robert rucci is a great editor though jessica singh is a great producer as is ej kapasal the credits continue david stramps gets rhythm j makes all the beats follow him on social at rhythm j as always, thanks to Ball's Life for making it all happen. Rate and review us if you would. And do me a favor, tell someone to start listening, and please come back for more First Ballot.
good. I love it. I love it. I love it. 